A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rilkins, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right. Welcome, Ki Kamamura, to the event, uh, Design to Change podcast. Thank you, Ruth. Pleasure it's, to be here with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We're actually looking into the whites of each other's eyes. We're at the Launch Labs in Basel, where you have your uh, studio banana. Um, Key is someone that I first met at TEDx Basel, an event that was hosted last year. We'll put the link to your talk in um, in the in the cliff notes. I would almost say in the key, in the comments of this. But mm-hmm. Key is actually somebody that is a creative entrepreneur, and he's the co-founder of Studio Banana. Um, this is what people will read from you on LinkedIn, right? Yes. If they want to connect to you, mm-hmm. uh, you're an architect by education, you're a creative entrepreneur by miseducation, and a maverick by definition. Yes, we like saying that. <laughs> that really puts a smile on my face. I know that you are uh, not just a speaker at TEDx Basel, but you've also spoken at many other types of events. You're also an event owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember you invited me to this very space uh, last year where you owned an event. So I would love to get your perspective as an event owner. Uh, but you are also um, a well-traveled man. You operate across the planet. Uh, you design spectacular projects, if I might say the least. Thank you. Um, and I know you're very humble about this, but we would encourage you to give a lot of examples. Um, but as a co-founder of this uh, organization, Studio Banana, how did you come up with that name, Studio Banana? It's, uh, it's much easier than one would expect. Our first office, uh, first studio, was on Banana Street in Madrid. Really? <laughs> we didn't look very far. And, uh, well, the internal joke is that if there's a company that can be the, the has the highest capitalization in the world called Apple, one of the biggest telecoms in Europe is called Orange, yeah. why can we not be Banana? <laughs> I love that. Sometimes the answer to a question is very simple. Yes. Right? Um, I'd like to ask you the question. That's the first page in the book, in the Design to Change book. And that question is, a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Mm-hmm. Would you leave that to chance? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, no. It's, um, we believe a lot in the power of conversation. Uh, conversation is not, not just an exchange of information it's a multiplication of information mm-hmm. and knowledge mm-hmm. it's uh, no, you don't put one plus the other you're actually multiplying that information because you're um, yeah retrofeeding that information you're making it your own you're interpreting you're probably misinterpreting and we love misinterpretations because that leaves you know a lot open space of chance of uh, the unknown the unexpected um, it's very difficult to have conversations with yourself. So in that sense, we, we love design through conversation. We, I mean, 
we call it co-design. It's yeah, mm -hmm. a term that uh, many of our clients can understand and relate to. Um, and it starts with uh, acknowledging that you don't possess all the knowledge, mm -hmm. that you don't, you're not the owner of every solution. And the solution is somewhere there in between, in a space of negotiation, in a space of conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, and there is the art of conversation as well. Conversation is something that can be curated, mm -hmm. that has a structure, a rhythm, a tempo to it. There's a somehow a, a narrative to how you conduct a nice conversation. And it doesn't mean that you're predicting the outcome you're just uh, structuring in a way that ideas build on each other mm -hmm. and um, yeah how, how do you conduct a beautiful conversation in a way that is meaningful for both or for the different people that participate in it it's something that for us is very dear to our hearts it's very close to our methodology of design mm -hmm. and um, yeah events in a way are the ultimate conversation, mm -hmm. the ultimate type of conversation. So when you think about that as a concept, right, where conversations are being held held at events, um, and, and, and I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty of more of this as we as we get into the conversation deeper. Um, but events also have qualities or design options. You know, let's take audio as an example. If you give a microphone to one person, and a thousand people do not get a microphone, mm -hmm. something happens to the conversation, right? So you That's have a very powerful set of tools at your disposal without even sometimes realizing what it means. Um, something we've um, seen happen in practice. Uh, I think in your TEDx Basel talk, I heard you say we've been part of the largest experiment globally, mm -hmm. um, which dramatically changed the behavior of all of us over a period of multiple years yes um how does that affect your horizon of change let's say if you t think about your own horizon of change right in, as in your company in your private life mm -hmm. what what is currently on your horizon of change mm -hmm. um maybe just to start with um and also to explain to to our audience today our field of specialism because yes. uh, i'm i'm very clear about what we're good at and what we're <laughs> less good at. Yeah. We, we help organizations reimagine the experience of work and learn. Mm -hmm. And um, when you reimagine something, naturally you, you're talking about horizons. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about the next thing mm -hmm. or the next things. You, you can think of, we like always thinking about next, uh, the several horizons, mm -hmm. horizon one, two, three. And um, they get fuzzier and foggier, but it is important in every process of transformation and change to go beyond horizon one, to think, okay, that is the general direction, horizon five. Um, and then what are the concrete steps we can take? Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a metaphor uh, I like using uh, a lot, it's called island hopping. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's uh, it's a method of progress through transformation mm -hmm. and um, if you bear with me for a second there are fundamentally two ways in which humans can cross an ocean mm -hmm. the the Columbus way 
there was a, a bit of a bit of science around he knew he had a sense that the earth was spherical um but there was a big leap of faith it could have gone terribly wrong <laughs> and the winds of change could have taken you anywhere yes and indeed he thought he was arriving to to india or japan but not to the americas mm -hmm. um, there is another approach which is how humans uh, colonized the pacific mm -hmm. it's uh, called island hopping okay and the pacific has a very different configuration to the atlantic in the atlantic there are very few islands mm -hmm. in the pacific there is the whole polynesia melanesia um, which is a massive archipelago mm -hmm. and um, instead of uh, you know, humans crossing in one go with a massive leap of faith the biggest ocean in in the earth mm -hmm. it was a gradual thing <clears throat> excuse me it took thousands of years to cross the pacific yeah. and it was done island after island after island there was a general um sense of there is something beyond there is life beyond because you could see well humans have um stimulus they have uh, inputs uh, they, they see the winds they see the animals the birds the fish there's a general direction mm -hmm. but then you take little little steps you go island after island mm -hmm. and then each time you arrive to a new island uh, that's been not that has not been habit, inhabited before you settle and you make use of the local resources and i liken that <clears throat> very much to a process of changing big organizations you need mm -hmm. to have that general direction mm -hmm. but then our approach is island hopping is one step at a time and then uh, naturally the islands that were colonized earlier mm -hmm. They are more settled they have more of a network they start trading between themselves mm -hmm. and the islands that are at the forefront of exploration they are they are less settled you don't know exactly what resources you're going to find there what threats as well you're going to find you mm -hmm. don't know if that island will help you hop to the next one or there's just an abyss of water after that and you actually need to resort to two islands back to change direction um, I like this metaphor a lot because uh, well, it's it's a big difference between a leap of faith and gradual transformation. Yeah. But gradual transformation, with that sense of the, the different horizons of settlement, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what you the things that you have discovered and uh, uh, formalized uh, in the past, you they're more grounded, they're more networked more part of the natural behaviors of people mm -hmm. and the new horizons are explored by a selected few people mm -hmm. um, and they are yeah they're naturally more risks there i don't know if i've gone too much on the, on the time no, you really paint a picture in in my head and hopefully also <laughs> the people that that are listening to this because thinking about that as a concept right where the risk and reward of um taking a, a big vessel with a lot of risk across a very large distance without necessarily having the skills or well, maybe the skills, but not the equipment or the, the knowledge to navigate uh, to where your destination is in your head. Um, does it also beg the question that this is something that I was asking myself? So <clears throat> how often do 
the Columbuses of this world, right, or the event owners, the business owners, how often do they know or have a hunch that there's something beyond that next horizon, but they have no idea what it is and they just want to explore? Or do you think they always have this very fixed idea of that's where we're headed, this is where we're going, um, come along, right, mm -hmm. as a crew? I mean, there are all sorts of folks out there in the world. <laughs> um, there's something beautiful about telling this heroic vision of, uh, yes, I had an intuition, I was the leader, I took my team beyond and, and across. Um, I think that we live in, in an era, in, in these VUCA times, with so much uncertainty that I think there's, honestly, this little benefit in in that heroism heroic behavior yeah. Yeah, yeah. uh you can tell that story afterwards if you want in a heroic <laughs> way but uh, uh what we recommend again in our field of expertise when we help organizations reinvent the experience of how they work and how they learn in the future is is yes you do have that long-term vision and that can be heroic that can mm -hmm. be something inspiring uh disruptive unexpected but take your organizations through through <coughs> your organization through gradual step by step mm -hmm. piecemeal uh, change mm -hmm. and let the exploration allow some people who are naturally equipped their personalities their energy let them be the the explorers the ones who who takes you know, moderated managed risk yeah yeah i like that um and also in the designer's mind, you know, when you tell those two stories, I'm thinking of four other ways in which you could cross the oceans, right? Mm -hmm. which, which is part of the, part of the, like, when you pose, or when you, you pose a perspective mm -hmm. or options on the table, you always think of more options, mm -hmm. right? That could be there. Um, most scuba divers don't last long for longer than an hour, but, you know, you could get from one island to the other underwater, so to say, and discover a whole new world <laughs> on the way, right? Well, you'll be surprised. You were asking me earlier, how do we do this uh, ourselves in-house? So mm -hmm. we, we do have, um, uh, well, we're not a very large organization. We're our core team. We're around 40 people. We have, a, within these 40 people, we have a leadership team. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are also coached by, by an experienced uh, coach and facilitator. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the remits that he has is to help us develop uh, our own internal leadership transformation. And um, in one of our workshops, internal workshops, I brought this metaphor of the island hopping. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, unsurprisingly, because <laughs> our team are just like that, they're bananas. <laughs> there was the one who said, oh, but we could cross with a submarine. <laughs> and there was the other one who said, oh, we could build a tunnel between the two islands. And someone else said, well, I prefer the Zeppelin. <laughs> <clears throat> so naturally, yes, there, there are many ways in, you, in which you can uh, go from island to island. Bottom line, what I'm trying to say is, um, is step by step, is piecemeal, mm -hmm. and um, you allow within an organization to have different degrees in which behaviors, new ways of working are settled, yeah. and uh, not everyone needs to work exactly the same way, learn the same way. You can allow different degrees of maturity within your organization. Yeah. So in the work that you do, 
because at the end of the day, the manifestation of the thinking ends up in a in a space or in a in a place or in an experience that people are going to have, right? So, mm -hmm. many of the listeners of this podcast are fascinated by events, events mm -hmm. as temporary spaces, maybe mm -hmm. your temporary gathering of stakeholders that change their behavior hopefully in the desired direction of change mm -hmm. if you know what the delta or the design goal is mm -hmm. um now workspaces or you know some of the work that you've done with or with large organizations that most people have heard about probably um uh, and if you connect to key uh, on his linkedin profile you'll see some of the work that you've been involved in and that your organization has been involved in um these are manifestations that are going to be around for a while, right? Meaning mm -hmm. they're almost like more permanent installations or things yeah. that are, these are investments that people make in yes. infrastructure and hardware. Um, the old Taylorist thinking might say that, you know, offices were built uh, as an investment vehicles for companies to make a return on the bricks that they put on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, how is that looking in the horizon of change in 2023 as we're recording this here in february no it's march second of march <laughs> i think today if i'm not mistaken third of march third even third of march 2023 <clears throat> 3 23 what is it looking like today we we always talk with our clients <clears throat> it's not about space it's about place mm -hmm. and there is a fundamental difference you measure space in square meters, mm -hmm. in volume, in dimensions. It's quantifiable. And uh, you measure place using very different metrics. It's about its behavior. It's about its relational, its community, its um, networking. Mm -hmm. Many very different parameters. Mm -hmm. What we strive to help organizations develop is a sense of place, place-making. Mm -hmm. uh, so therefore yeah you brush off the table tailor is thinking it's yeah. it's no longer about making the most efficient factory it's not about making the most efficient office where people will be producing the most it's about where they will be producing the best mm -hmm. it's how do you get the best not the most out of your team in in many industries nowadays, you can literally work pretty much anywhere. I say many because we also know companies where it's not possible. You are you're attached to certain infrastructures, equipments, labs, manufacturing machines, whatever. But mm -hmm. in many organizations in the knowledge economy, you're very mobile. So that attachment to space is it's less less important but the sense of place becomes ever more important precisely because we can be everywhere and anywhere mm -hmm. the moment communities gather communities that work operate collaborate together learn together when they gather physically that sense of place becomes so meaningful so important and uh, yeah automatically you're as i said brushing off <clears throat> this uh, Taylorist thinking you're talking much more about purpose what is the purpose of your organization how do we create an environment that is purposeful um, and it's yeah rather ROP returned on purpose 
than return on yeah, investment. To put it in very blunt terms, uh, for the folks out there who you know, might be thinking, how do I create the next place where my company, my firm, my organization can can work, gather, collaborate? I would say, don't think you know about uh, it. It's rather smaller than probably it was before, but it has to be substantially better. Yeah. The yeah. experience. Think about the experience mm -hmm. rather than the square meters that uh, yeah. you will need. Think about where it is located. Think about who is around you. What is the, the vibe? Who With whom can you um, network when, when you're in that, that location? Within your organization, other companies, other people that might be in and around your, your location becomes so important. So it's much more about place than about space. I like and, that a lot. And events, to me, are places. They're not spaces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, traditionally, yes, there are these things called trade shows or uh, fair trades where, yes, they, they have massive infrastructure with, where big events have taken place. But um, I think we're seeing a total reinvention also of the notion of event. Events don't need to take place in these predefined um, Box. boxes. Yeah. They can happen in the street, they can happen in the countryside, they can happen uh, even simultaneously in different uh, dislocated um, environments that are connected through technology and you can yeah. make that also. They can happen in the metaverse, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. it can happen in so many different places, but that sense of place is, is ever more important. Yeah. I think people tend to remember <clears throat> the places they were at when very monumental changes happen in their lives, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think that sense of place and the memory lock that happens or the, like the, the marker that gets planted in your memory mm -hmm. that you need to layer over time as well, which is why the cadence and frequency of events can be so relevant. Um, but also the scale, I think what you're talking about, it's interesting. I mean, uh, convention centers or trade show floors originally started in the Germanic countries, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, if you wanted to trade your cow or your, uh, you know, what you had as livestock, you needed to bring it to a place where others also had those similar inventory items, mm -hmm. right? And you would need to look each other in the whites of the eyes and have a conversation. And then, you know, they would shake the hand and make a deal, right? So. Mm -hmm. And really, it's it's no different today. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> only the scale and magnitude of these events. It's interesting. In the podcast I just recorded last week with Bob Bajan, he's the corporate vice president of global events from Microsoft. Mm -hmm. He was saying that um, his team of 100 people at, you know, uh, Satya, the, the, the CEO, basically put events at the center of their organization because they are the customer zero of the experience, which I found a very interesting yeah. concept. And now... In their space, um, and I'm calling it space on purpose because it's almost like, for me, the product Microsoft, or when I hear Microsoft, I think of a software operating system that allows people to do things together somehow, right? Mm -hmm. Or communicate in a digital manner. Um, the, 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 the fact that they're creating 1,500 hours of content every single month, have built their own Purpose, purposeful places, right, to be able to create, produce, engage, 
structure, but also dramatically scale down the size of their events and geolocate it like you were just referring to their events in multiple spaces at the same time, sometimes sequentially, right? Where they're mm-hmm. asynchronous, right? Where they don't have to happen at the same time. Yeah. Um, actually feels like a blending of, you know, where place of events and place of work or productive activity, purposeful activity, mm-hmm. and a sense of purpose for people is almost like blending together. There's something you mentioned just before, which I find beautiful. Um, memories. Mm-hmm. How can a place anchor a memory in your brain, in your behavior, help you make it second nature, mm-hmm. that new behavior? And ultimately, I think that is the purpose, the goal of events, yeah. is to anchor, to make you know a peak in intensity that you can always refer back to or that your brain naturally i mean you don't even need to do that in an you know investing a big effort a big effort if it is nicely designed it becomes memorable by default mm-hmm. and uh, and that's also something that we strive for when we create work and learning environments how do you make those environments i mean not i mean purposeful is a use is a word that's been abused but mm. memorable mm. and how can you anchor things that you've learned that you exchange conversations that you had in that place so that afterwards you can naturally refer naturally refer back to those and this is uh, done you know by approaching design in a holistic way yeah. it's not just the physical layout it's also the smells <laughs> the sound in the space it's also how can you role model behaviors that you can refer back to those as memorable and then you can replicate them and repeat them because they are uh, optimal behaviors so um there's that sense of memorability i think is so important yeah. in in creating this uh, temporary or more permanent as you mentioned uh, places for communities yeah and and when you talk about i like this word memorability i don't know if it's an official word but if it isn't then you've just coined it um the the whole idea of the permanence or the temporary the temporariness if that's not a word either Mm. but um um, requires you to be very in the moment when you're creating the memory Mm -hmm. right so it requires a lot from the environment in which that happens, but also from the individual that's mm-hmm. in that space, right? Yep. Uh, and in that place that then creates that memorability of some fashion. Mm-hmm. Do you think by repeating those actions over time, you can create more permanence to the memorability of it? Or do you think like, is it is it almost like a, like a, a peak, like you're describing, a peak of an, a very high experience that then clicks and anchors, um, makes the marker and then you carry on? Or do you think by repeating something over time with a certain frequency, you can layer the memory and make it make the memorability kind of anchor over time? I refer here to to this notion I, I once learned mm-hmm. uh, of the three R's mm-hmm. in order to underpin uh, 
deep transformation. Role modeling, rehearsal, and repetition. In um, in the peak of the moment of <clears throat> excuse me of an event or let's say in this hybrid world, the moment when you gather together with your community, with your coworkers, with your teams physically in the place we used to call office. Mm-hmm. You can admire, you can uh, acknowledge mm-hmm. role models. But afterwards, it becomes really important, that second aspect, the rehearsal. How can that environment become almost like a theater for rehearsing, so learning mm-hmm. uh, new behaviors, new, new competencies, new, how, new know-how. But the, la- the last R is fundamental, it's repetition. <laughs> That's what I tell my kids when, when they are in school. <laughs> no, you, you tried it once, twice, okay. You need to try it a hundred times yeah. to, to master it, to, so that that becomes second nature. Yeah. Uh, you don't want that you know, multiplication thing that you just learned to be taking mental effort. It has to be effortless yeah. because that is just a tool for you to be able to do other more meaningful things. You're not going to be a multiplier in your life, but you're going to be using multiplication in many contexts. So you want that to be repeated so many times that it becomes effortless. And then you can apply that knowledge and use it as a tool to achieve. So role modeling, rehearsal, repetition. repetition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It almost sounds like the role modeling makes it aspirational or Mm -hmm. gives it this Maybe admiration as fast, but also like emulation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, if I do that, then the likely outcome will be that, right? It's Correct. almost like programming the prefrontal cortex of a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids are young adults, so sometimes I still wonder how programmed their prefrontal cortex is already or is still being programmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's fascinating to see that that the rehearsal of it actually becomes a practice, right? So. One of the things that we do in event design and you know people that are certified event designers is that they they have a practice of using the collaborative powers of multiple prefrontal cortexes to decode the likely behavior change in a group of people mm-hmm. based on their uh, the place creation that you're creating during the event to enable them to change the behavior in the desired direction of change with the nudges and elements that are within that temporary space of the event, right? Something that could be mm-hmm. a matter of hours, sometimes a matter of days. But by conditioning that environment very specifically over time with a certain cadence, certain repetition level, expecting people to come back because that mm-hmm. memorability factor is very important, right? Yep. Um, and one of the things that is critical to the success is the ability to code and decode the type of learning that needs to take place. Yes. Right, meaning mm-hmm. skills learning, knowledge learning, attitude learning, mm-hmm. and you know people learning, the kennenlernen, as mm-hmm. the Germans call it, right? Which is mm-hmm. people learning is different. There's no good English word, I think, for kennenlernen. Yeah. Yeah, rapport, um, maybe? Yeah, I the creation of yeah. rapport over yes. time, but it, mm-hmm. it, like really getting to know someone mm-hmm. or clicking with someone, yep. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if those four learning components can be embedded and designed for specifically, um, you can then create an environment of learning. And I have this belief, 
maybe many of you who might have spent time in school with people or gone to executive education or spent time at an event regularly, when you learn together, you stay together, mm -hmm. right? Yep. If there's a joint curiosity over time where both parties don't know, but together they find out, that's probably one of the strongest human bonds you can create, mm -hmm. right? And so I think creating a place where learning can happen, um, maybe not you know, systematically sounds so dry, but inductively almost, right? It needs to be a space where that can happen, yes. allow it to happen. You can also not force it to happen, right? You can't drill learning into a person. Mm -hmm. Attitude learning is not something you can, well, wars might prove otherwise, but they end, you know, they start with a bullet, but they end in a conversation, mm -hmm. right? So what happens in between is like, lost a lot of lost cause in space but um i'm really fascinated by this distinction between place and space that you're making mm -hmm. and i hope it encourages those that are listening to this podcast whether you are an event owner right or an event designer or if you think you have nothing to do with events then think of it as experiences yes right <laughs> and every aspect of that um event design matters is, I mean, the narrative, the sequencing, the, the degree of uh, interactivity. Sometimes you need to open up the mic. Sometimes you need to just give the mic to one person. Sometimes it is necessary to yeah. give the mic to one person and the rest yeah. listen. Yeah. Um, but you need to have, yes, a, a narrative to that. But other things that often go a little more um, disregarded, like what is the natural light? in that context what is the view yeah. because that inspires you <clears throat> or, or the country yeah. the the food as well mm -hmm. uh, what type of food what's the story behind that food yeah. um, we when you break bread you're you're, you're creating naturally a community when yeah. you're eating together yeah. you you know that's what you know families or close closely knitted teams do they eat together yeah. and uh yeah, breaking bread so honoring what's feeding you and uh you know there's, there's there's a ritual also that you can create around that and create again bonding and uh, meaningful canon uh, learning yes this this reminds me of just popped in my head <clears throat> we just did a an event design certificate program in sarawak and borneo in malaysia uh, three weeks ago and one of the participants um, mentioned that she contributes to a podcast called the the taste of place mm -hmm. which is fascinating yes. because sarawak is very known for its pepper mm -hmm. the laksas there's some very famous food elements that come from uh, east malaysia <clears throat> and um in that podcast i remember um it was a very elderly lady, I think that, you know, this, this grandma's wisdom where she mentions food is the basis of culture before people even talk mm -hmm. with each other. I mean, you can have a meal with someone and not speak the same language mm -hmm. and somehow it creates like a foundational layer of some sort, right? It's a representation of the culture. And Indeed. so the food mm -hmm. element is almost like so foundational. Um, and also it's a very trigger heavy memory maker mm -hmm. right it creates memorability yes that's very often underestimated or uh, overlooked um, 
but very critical. I remember the event that you hosted in the very space we're in right right now. We're at Launch Labs in Basel and Gundeling, mm -hmm. Gundelinge, mm -hmm. Gundelinge Felt, I think it's yes. called here, right? Correct. You have your offices here in this space. Um, I remember both the food, but also the structure of the event that you put together. Mm. And I'm I'm always obsessed by the design of events, so I'm I'm very distracted by the design and decoding it. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm actually I have to be conscious of how I consume and experience it to decode it as well. Yes. Right? So it's I'm a really poor participant in that respect. You're at a, at a meta level. <laughs> yeah, but Analyzing. it's also it's, it's also like a professional deformation. It's probably the sure. same thing that happens to you when you walk into any you know, building for a company or you naturally, yeah, you decode the culture, you're mm. trying to look at the behaviors, you're observing the role modeling, the rehearsal, the repetition, the mm. structure, and what you would change as a result of it. Right? Mm. Um, I remember coming to that event, and there's a write up, we'll put the link in, uh, in, in the footnotes of that event that mm. I read in hindsight, uh, probably two or three weeks ago, I reread mm. that posting uh, that you yes. have on your website about the event. And that event had a very interesting open structure. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, maybe I'm putting you on the spot a little bit because you no, probably no. do so many different types of events. Right. But do, do you remember the design or like how did that where did the seed of inspiration come for from that event? Mm -hmm. And how did it kind of how did your team kind of and the people that were there? Mm -hmm. How did that how did that go for you mm -hmm. as an event owner or as, let's say you somebody instigated that event? I don't know where it came from, but. Sure. <clears throat> well, that event was the result of another event. OK, OK. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we gather, so our team is spread uh, all over uh, Europe, mm -hmm. uh, different countries, different, uh, I mean, even I mean, though we have four official locations, our team really live in different, many different places. Yeah. And for us, there are a number of rituals, and we call them rituals, <clears throat> that are non-negotiable. It's part mm -hmm. of our culture. Mm -hmm. to mention one is we have breakfast together every two weeks every second Tuesday we, we gather for breakfast some people are sitting next to each other sharing croissant or coffee some people are virtually <clears throat> together but we're, we're all doing the same thing mm -hmm. we're having breakfast while well in turn we take um, the yeah, center stage and we we present something different different people different teams we celebrate achievements learnings um and we and we do that around food again mm -hmm. um another one of our events and this one is almost sacred for us is our annual retreat mm -hmm. we we meet religiously on the first week of june every year so anyone trying to reach me first week of june i won't answer emails <laughs> telephones nothing you're off the planet <laughs> i'm fully dedicated same as the rest of our core team to uh, doing a retrospective look at what have the last 12 months brought to us mm -hmm. what have we learned mm -hmm. what can each other learn or what can we learn from each other in the things that went well or in the things that didn't go so well mm -hmm. you learn mainly through failures mm -hmm. and um, in that event last year in June we were meeting in a beautiful monastery in the in the countryside in Spain mm -hmm. and um, and our team in Switzerland 
they said, well, it is about time we celebrate our network, our Studio Banana and friends. Mm -hmm. We thought that was a, a beautiful idea. Why don't we bring together our clients, our partners, our suppliers. I mean, we don't like talking about suppliers, more partners, um, people that we know, also people that you know you would consider competitors. Let's mm -hmm. let's celebrate knowledge. Let's celebrate um, can and learn, and and um, so yeah, that event came out of that uh, previous event, which was an internal uh, gathering. Now, the actual Banana Friends, where you participated and decoded uh, in, in ways that are certainly very clever. We just thought there needs to be a, several components. There needs to be a component of learning for everyone. That people, mm -hmm. when they leave, they don't just say, oh, I had a jolly good time. I had yeah, nice food and wine. But also, I have some takeaways. I learned something. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and we also took different approaches to learning. Mm -hmm. One is programmed. So we asked, uh, I believe, five or six of our friends to, mm -hmm. to take the mic mm -hmm. for four to five minutes mm -hmm. and to share uh, a thought-provoking initiative. Mm -hmm. So it was not a pitch. It was not about, look how great I am. It was like, these are the things that are cooking my head and yeah. uh, I don't know in which direction this is going, but yeah. I share it with you because you're all mm -hmm. interesting and interested and intelligent people. So there was that component. A number of people took to the mic in, in different moments of the event. Mm -hmm. There was also, uh, we believe that you learn also by taking active an active role mm -hmm. not just a passive listening role yeah. but an active role mm -hmm. so there was this um this exercise where we asked people to share skills they have magical superpowers they have with someone that they don't know yeah. and to form a joint venture yeah so there was they had to create something together yeah but in order to create it they had to share their superpowers so mm -hmm. They were reflecting on themselves. They were reflecting on their partners mm -hmm. that they didn't know. And they, they built together some pretty amazing <laughs> joint ventures in, what, on the fly. Minutes on the fly. Ten minutes? Or yeah. Like, yeah, something, something very brief, right? Yeah. Yes. And then there was also a performing <laughs> aspect to that. They had mm -hmm. to pitch yeah. the, the, the brave ones. And, um, and you made an open list on a whiteboard that says, yes. here's five spaces. Exactly. Pitch, right? and so we didn't put anyone on the spotlight it was all voluntary and and then uh, then these amazing ideas were shared yeah. uh, clapped at uh, discussed uh, there was feedback given to them um, and there was of course uh, an award <laughs> that's really important when, yes. whenever you have something oh, that's a prize <laughs> yes yeah. something slightly competitive there has to be an award but there was an award for everyone who volunteered to pitch but there was also a special one to the one that got the most claps mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it was fun <laughs> and i really um what other elements did you include in that design the food was very important <clears throat> yes you said that you you remember the food and i'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad because yeah. well we went to great lengths it was not just uh, whatever yeah. catering uh company it was mm -hmm. um it was a turkish um restaurant here in Basel there's a large Turkish community mm -hmm. uh, in in town and 
we also wanted to celebrate the fact that we're in Basel and that we're not in Madrid or in Lausanne or in London. We're in Basel. So something that comes from uh, yeah from here. Uh, we have also a, a team member here in Basel who's uh, got Turkish origins. So she took that almost as a personal yeah. mission. Yeah. Um, and we engaged in a conversation. We explained to the caterer the design of the event. I love that. We didn't say, oh, show us your menu. I'll, we'll choose and what's within our price range. We explained the, the purpose and, uh, and we let them do some creative thinking around that. And then they came with an offer to us. So there were all these different yeah, components to it. And this celebrates their ability to listen, their ability to contribute to the purpose, their yeah. ability to share culture mm -hmm. um, in an unexpected way almost where you have a narrative of banana and friends mm -hmm. <clears throat> studio banana and friends um, you were not serving banana splits just because it fit the theme yeah <laughs> but you actually went through there was a there was a structure of purpose but also links personal links mm -hmm. there's people have skin in the game almost mm -hmm. by being part of the narrative yeah yeah, yeah. and um, i i felt that at the event <clears throat> um, but the scale of the event so how many people came to the event just for people that are listening around 80 people I think 80 people yeah well, that's a lot of friends to have right so <clears throat> I mean your team um, and did your team from the other countries come to that as well or was it primarily your team we from Basel or team from Switzerland we had colleagues coming yeah. over from, from Lausanne as well yeah. mm -hmm. let me ask you if you would do it again mm -hmm. right or let's say at this annual retreat, mm -hmm. um, how would you go about that as an event owner? Like, mm -hmm. was this the first time you did this? A, ben a Studio Banana and Friends event? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, here in Switzerland, yes. In, okay. in Spain, we have organized. This has happened before? Yes. Yeah. There's a more natural culture of celebration in Spain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so people gather for celebrating yeah. more more naturally so there's almost like an innate need to celebrate or the, there's there's a there's like a driver on mm. the one side but also there's you need a spark or an instigation at some point or a stimulus or an approval right yes. or mm. let's call it by the word a budget mm -hmm. right somebody needs to pay for this stuff yes right and at the end of the day the return on purpose mm. of whatever it is you do needs to fit squarely in the purpose of what it is yes right and let me tell you one thing is that um, we have a set of values mm -hmm. in the in, in the studio. We don't uh, we don't uh, broadcast them. They are not on our website. They are more for our internal community. But we have no problem sharing them. Mm -hmm. They were co-created with our team. Mm -hmm. that's, that's important. It was not just a, a selected few who said, "Well, these are our values and live with them." They were co-created, so that makes them, in my opinion much more meaningful two of them uh, well one of them is called creative confidence mm -hmm. which is not a term we invented of course it's, uh, it comes inspired directly from IDEO um, the Kelly brothers but mm -hmm. um, another one is joy and passion mm -hmm. and um, we try and this is a this is always a struggle you cannot be always measuring every single activity and move against your values but we try whenever we do something meaningful 
where we invest a lot of energy, be it a project, a collaboration or an initiative like this, Studio Banana and Friends, to measure how does it score against our values. And um, in its purpose, but also then in its design and then in how the energy we bring and in the rollout uh, approach. And, uh, and we believe that this Studio Banana and Friends event was taken, yes, it was joyful, there was a sense of passion, and ultimately it was about giving people creative confidence because they had to, you know, the, the rubber hit the road. People had to go on stage and talk about their ideas. And it was not a passive consumption. It was, um, yeah. You didn't spoon up the content. Mm -hmm. You created an environment in which others, and also you the framework, gave space. Mm -hmm. For others to you didn't know what was going to happen no no but we knew it was going to go well <laughs> exactly because the people there were fantastic people yeah. mm -hmm. so it's almost like you you it's not like you curate the the people in the room although you do you don't just invite anybody to your events right mm -hmm. so but the fact that you're calling it studio banana and friends is a very um is a very deliberate choice i suppose mm -hmm. like just the way when you celebrate a birthday party you just don't invite anyone yes right it's it's somehow a curated version of who decides or the initiative to invite mm -hmm. the initiative to accept the invitation and then being able to celebrate together slightly rehearsed or unrehearsed you create a very unrehearsed space right mm -hmm. where serendipity did its work and you left a lot of space literally for people to mm -hmm. do to express their creative confidence or mm -hmm. to Define, to fuel it as well. To fuel it, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you spark the joy and passion in people by asking them about their magical skill sets mm -hmm. or their superpowers and then enabling rapid co-creation between people that might not be friends yet or don't know mm -hmm. each other yet. Um, and these are very simple techniques. They're not tricks. They're not, but they are like instincts almost that you, because of the creative confidence, put in place um and as you look out onto the space i see like this you know the seats that you would have in a in a ski lift right we were just talking about skiing before <clears throat> what we did last week uh, we we did a strategic ski retreat in which we think and work and be in nature to look at different horizons of change uh, but also visual sparks can mm -hmm. spark triggers or feelings that you've la layered before right so yes <clears throat> there comes again the memorability yeah. element yeah. Yeah. in order to make a place memorable you cannot design it in a bland way in a cookie cutter way it's it's not vanilla ice uh, <laughs> there has to be a, a punch to it right it has to yeah. be an edge to yeah. Yeah. to how you create a, a place and to some people it might be a bit disturbing um, we acknowledge that but at least it puts you in a position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You take position naturally when you are triggered by things. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You take a stance and you yes. build on your past experiences. I guess that's the <clears throat> that's the magic of what um, place brings to the placemaking. And um, well, I for one could talk about this stuff for ages. I know, you know, time is passing and maybe as people are driving in their car listening to the podcast, they're wondering, um, what are they talking about again? And, and really all of this kind of fits in the larger loose structure of 
the sense of place and how where we work and how we work you know place work is not a, a place we go it's a thing we do mm-hmm. um, as you said in your TEDx talk it's one of the things that I've been trying to preach for myself for a long time but at the same time there is there are favorite places for me to work where I feel more productive than other places mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure many of those that are listening to this might have that similar experience if you would give three examples of recent work that you've done mm-hmm. just off the cuff <clears throat> that make you particularly proud of your team and of the the things that you've done maybe um, what what would be three projects that you recommend people to just take a peek at mm-hmm. if you can share them that's also the other part because sometimes you can't share the work but sure <clears throat> uh, I'm very proud of my team <laughs> so it's difficult <laughs> off the cuff but um, I'll tell you about a project we did last year here in Basel, actually, in the military barracks, or former military barracks, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a building that was uh, neglected for time immemorial. It was for many years kind of dilapidated, massive building right right by the river, the caserna. It was just gathering dust in a way and crumbling and people, institutions were using it temporarily for different uh, periods of time mm-hmm. and the city had this vision to, to give this building that had been for many years almost an obstacle an eyesore I mean it's not, it's not an ugly building but it's massive and it's right there in front of the river so it's very prominent mm-hmm. so the city had this vision of turning it into something civic uh, a gift to the people a public of Basel. purpose mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. correct they organized a uh, public tender for operators and we teamed up with um, some folks uh, from Fluxdoc who operate co-working spaces and uh, and we pitched together them as operators and us as the creators of the environment uh, where that civic purpose would unfold it all took the form of, uh, uh, in our proposal to that RFP, we, we suggested, we pitched that this could become a hub for events and co-working for social and cultural enterprises. Mm-hmm. So generally not for profit, but not only. Mm-hmm. Think tanks, research institutes, and so on. And uh, well, we won. That, that, that's a good thing. <laughs> we won the pitch. That's a good start. <laughs> yes, it's a good start. <clears throat> But then um, in the time and age in which we live, when you do something so prominent that's going to be in people's uh, retina for a while and it's going to serve a public function, you need to go beyond the obvious and just beyond taking functional requirements. You need to be exemplary. Mm -hmm. What is the story that Mm -hmm. this thing will tell to people? And... uh, there's a big drive within our team to embrace circular design. Mm-hmm. Um, sustainability is is a non-negotiable uh, aspect on any project. Mm-hmm. How can you do things in a way that they they don't consume more resources than uh, yeah. than necessary, and ideally they are regenerative efforts. And uh, we took this opportunity as a way of experimenting with circular design in an extreme way. Mm-hmm. 
So we asked ourselves, we set ourselves a challenge. Can we create an environment for working, learning that will be used by a community of social and cultural enterprises, mm-hmm. um, reusing, upcycling or recycling equipment, furniture, you name it, but without buying new stuff, without producing new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was a, an amazing learning for our team because it changes absolutely the logic of design. Uh, in a traditional linear design process, you first have the blueprint, mm-hmm. and then in that blue blueprint, you project the storyline or the storyboard. Mm-hmm. And um, when you need to, when what we call form follows availability, when mm-hmm. design fo- follows availability. You cannot have the blueprint at the beginning because you don't know exactly everything that you're going to be finding in your scouting efforts. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you need to invert the logic and you need to think first about the storyboard and then the blueprint eventually mm-hmm. comes because you find the bits and bobs and pieces that you're collecting, scouting from multiple sources and that actually eventually make the, the design tangible those you're discovering along the way <clears throat> but you have a very clear storyboard at the beginning so we put a lot of effort at the beginning in co-creating with the future users what is the ideal experience we want to um to live in this uh, in this place mm-hmm. what is the what are the atmospheres uh, what are the functional requirements but um without specifying it's going to look like this and it's going to have this many chairs of this many of this type of color and this model uh, not at all it was all about the storyboard which is very much the way disney for instance thinks yeah. first comes the storyboard and then eventually yes you do the whole um place making yeah. yes place making uh, and, and it at the end you have a story with characters with colors with everything but you start with the storyboard mm-hmm. yeah. So that for us was, a, in a way, a game-changing project because um, for many of us that have been used to a more linear approach to design, uh, this more cyclical uh, approach where you start with the storyboard uh, and not with the blueprint uh, was very refreshing. And also the fact that we involved the users in, in that co-creation process was for us super energizing that they were so stoked about this that they were so engaged that they they became active designers they helped us with the scouting efforts it was a yeah, beautiful beautiful experience mm-hmm. i like that mm-hmm. so <clears throat> i also like the <clears throat> the terminology you use where the, you know the scouting efforts and the the storyboarding the ideal experience where basically anything that's already there is a design restriction mm-hmm. um, or possibility <clears throat> an opportunity to mm-hmm. use it in a specific form and functional way which i think a lot of event designers do that by default mm-hmm. uh, hopefully or sometimes by necessity because they're confronted with a status quo mm-hmm. at a moment in time x number of days later right they always think in m minus 15 or whatever mm-hmm. you know like it's like the moment of the event is not negotiable 
Correct. It's the lead time to get there and what the window of opportunity offers you or doesn't offer you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very refreshing to hear that, you know, the circular design, you could start pretty much anywhere in the circle. Yep. It doesn't really matter. Uh, th what matters is that you start. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and then how it follows, clockwise or counterclockwise, or you need to be able to think both ways, maybe in the spherical ways even, right? Mm -hmm. Um, is a very interesting kind of and like you say refreshing maybe it's like you've done it in one way but consider all the other ways that are now possible yeah on that note I mean we could talk about this stuff forever and I really enjoy our conversation Key. I think what I'd like to do is um, uh, two things one of them is I'd like to invite you a year from today mm -hmm. to look back uh, because you still owe us two more projects. You spoke of this one project. Mm -hmm. There's two projects that maybe we didn't have time to talk about. If you want to hear about them, come backstage. You will be there in a minute, right? And we'll talk about the other two mm -hmm. projects. Um, um, but would you be willing uh, to accept the invitation to redo this podcast one year from today? And before we do that podcast, we'll listen to this podcast and think about how the horizon of change has influenced the work that you're doing then. Absolutely. Up for it. I, I love that idea. It reminds me of, um, of a conversation I had with uh, our coach, mm -hmm. which is called your future interview. Mm -hmm. So he interviewed me, well, that was like two years ago, five years into the future. Yeah. And I love those <laughs> jumps in time. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, 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 I love uh, the idea of meeting in one year, 3rd of March, 2024. Absolutely. And, uh, Which will be a Saturday. We might shift it slight, the date slightly. <laughs> it, it also begs the question, uh, it doesn't mean we're not going to have conversation in the meantime, but I think the moment of standstill when you put on a headset and a mic in front of you, you carve out a moment in time to just stand still for a minute and really talk. Mm -hmm. Because let's be honest, we didn't have time to do that at your Studio Banana and Friends event. Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't carve out the time on Zoom to do that when we're both traveling and doing different things. But we do do it when you deliberately plan for the time to think about it, right? Yes. People never have time unless you claim the time at the right time when you have the state of mind and in the place in which you can actually just be and talk. Yeah. And in the time and age we live in i think that's the most valuable gift a person can give to another person is your full time and attention yes so thank you well, Ruth, for your time and for making this possible and yeah. well thanks for the to the audience also exactly who, who yeah. listen to this because yeah. they are yeah dedicating yeah a space in time exactly for this yeah well thank you for the conversation i um, I appreciate you sharing so openly, you know, your, your views and visions on how this works in your practice. Mm. Um, I finally know where Studio Banana comes from, <laughs> <laughs> which if you haven't heard it, recheck the beginning of this one. Uh, we're going to be signing off on this episode uh, and then we'll see you backstage in just a moment. Fabulous. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you to the audience. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.